If you need a, a copy of God's Word, you can slip your hand up. And Chad or Jim will be glad to give it to you. You can take your Bibles or devices or however you follow along and turn to Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah. That's one of those you look up the table of contents. Or you go to the major prophets. Everybody doing well? Yes? No? You don't know? Well, it's thrilling to be back together as the body of Christ and uh, excited we can be here together. I'm going to move this microphone before I kick it off the stage, knowing me. All right, if you'll look at the top of your handout. Everybody there? What's it say at the very top? Okay, some of you can read. That's good. The only God. We're beginning a brand new series today. I have no idea how long it will take, probably till the second coming. Uh, By the way, if Jesus comes back and uh, you're here the following Sunday, feel free to be in charge. I'll let you think through that theologically when when you get there. All right. So we're beginning a brand new series today. Look at your handout and tell me the title of the series. I warned you last week. What is it? You gotta say it right. Who's your daddy? Toby Keith will be here next week leading us in that song. Who's your daddy? And here's where this came from in my heart. I was doing, shared with you the last few weeks, a devotion, and I was, uh, love to read through Psalms on a personal level. I love to read the Proverbs for practical wisdom on how to just deal with things in life daily. And then I love to go to the Psalms and read those and and understand that that was the hymn book of the children of Israel. That's when they would get together in their celebration feast. Psalm 115 was one of those that they would sing during the Passover during that particular time. It's called the Hallel. They would sing them and chant them and memorize them and, and worship their God through the Psalms. And so much history there when they were written in the life of David, for example, when he would write a particular Psalm, what was going on in his life. And when you understand that, We've been studying the life of David in my uh, 930 class, and then it would take you to a particular psalm. Like, for example, Psalm 51 was written after his adultery with Bathsheba and all that horrible moment in his life. And you read Psalm 51, you can see the heart of a man that's broken before his God, that he has been so wrong. And then that, just that one little phrase in there, restore to me the joy of my salvation, that, that, that God, I've hurt you. And so I just love to read the psalms and understand the history behind them. And so as I was reading in Psalm 115, and the Lord led me to, to share that as a devotion over the last few weeks at, here with us together, I've been praying about what did, the, what did the Lord want me to begin to share on Sunday mornings after we finished Acts. And I just kept coming back to, I want to, felt like the Lord wanted me to encourage you about how special it is to know who your God is. Who is your daddy? That you understand that your God is not just the creator of the universe, although he is that. Your God is not just the sovereign ruler of the universe, although he is that. 
That your God is not just omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient. I just like to throw out a little Latin every now and then as I took four years of it. You figured you'd learn something. I learned that in Wainy Witty Wiki, what Caesar said. That's about all I learned in four years of Latin. That, the, that your God is all-powerful, that he is everywhere at the same time, that, that he, he does know everything. And sometimes it might, might bring pause when you realize God knows everything, uh-oh, about me, and yet he's still my daddy. And that as a father, as a grandfather, as a mom or a grandmother, as a parent, we understand those relationships on a certain level. You know how much you love your children and adore them and only want what's God's best for them. And yet, Scripture clearly teaches that if an earthly father knows how to give good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father know what to give you? And what to withhold from you. And I think there's been so much poor theology taught over the years about who God is that I just felt like, not because Randy has a handle on all the great theology, but just let scripture say, who is your God? And then revel in the reality that your dad is all the things we've just mentioned in the past five to seven minutes and so much more. And so what we're going to do today, the next couple of weeks, is we're going to kind of draw an outline, big picture of the jigsaw puzzle, about who your daddy is and how special it is to be a child of the, the God who spoke the universe into existence, to be a child of the omnipotent ruler of the universe who's outside time, who's not constrained by the things we as humans are constrained by, like past presence and futures, is that he just is, and that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. All of those have theological terms, like imminence and uh, immutability, eternality. We're going to walk through some of those, and I really don't know, to be brutally frank, I don't know how long this is going to take me to do, because it's so special. I mean, I, I could teach John 1, 1 through 18 for about four years. Matter of fact, I did that at uh, the Barley campus. I taught uh, John for years. We met when we started Arlington 13 years ago. I was in chapter 12 of John. And then I left and came, came out here. And I, I love that prologue for so many reasons. But I think my, my prayer, my hope, my desire for you as your pastor is as we walk through this, that you'll just be able to step back and say, Woo, my daddy is special. I know my kids do that all the time. <laughs> we were at a birthday party yesterday for Andy's little girl. It was her sixth birthday. And, you know, it's just cool to watch them grow up and watch them change. And, and I was messing with her about something. I don't, that's just what grandfathers do. It's part of the job description is you've got to be goofy and pick on your grandchildren. Some of them take it well. Others, not quite as well. And Lydia turned to me, she's six years old now yesterday. She turns to me and says, Grandy, you're crazy. <laughs> I said, well, see, now you're growing up. You understand things. And, and, and Beth was there, and she goes, uh, you're not going to have to move in with me, are you? <laughs> I said, just relax. 
It's all good. Just think about how good it would be to have me around 24-7. How special that would be. Just to laugh all the time. I have one granddaughter, uh, Callie. Her birthday was January 2nd. She became 13. And I've told you this before, but I'm going to be a stand-up comic when the Lord uh, takes me away from here. You guys are blessed with that moment. I'm going to be a stand-up comic. That's what I'm going to do. And as long as Callie's in the audience, I'll be fine. I can look at Callie and say, that floor's dirty, and she'll start laughing. That's what I need. Just laugh at me. No matter what it is, just laugh. And then you feel better. All right. So in this series, I want you, and I really want you to pray toward this end, that every week when you come in here that you're going to hear a word from God, and hopefully you pray that anyway. My prayer always is that you'll hear from the Lord, that the Lord will speak to you through his word, through me as a tool, through his word, and that you'll be encouraged to understand who your dad is. Look at the verses at the top of your handout. Kind of a thematic verses for this series. Isaiah 45, 5. I am the Lord. There is no other. There is no God besides me. Exodus 20, beginning of the Decalogue and the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God. You will have no other gods, plural, before me. In Romans 8.15, which is the genesis of the series title, you received the spirit of adoption when you were born again, by whom we cry out as Christians, Abba, Father. And the little term Abba Aramaic is a Greek term of tenderness. That's the daddy idea. We cry out, daddy, daddy. It's not an accident that God chooses metaphors in scripture to relate to us. Not an accident that he, he wants us as his children, that's the term he used, to call him father and daddy. Because he want, we can understand, again, on a surface level, as much as we can, those relationships. I know what it means to be a father. I know what it means to be a child. And so the Lord says, if you think your father on earth is good, come get to know me. And for some people, they don't have. And I've shared this before, but my dad and I did not have a good relationship growing up at all. And then I became a Christian at age 16, and the Lord introduced me to some some godly Christian men. And I began to understand through being taught that I had a father, a heavenly father who loved me just like I was, only wanted what was best for me, would always be there for me. And just, it was incredible to begin to get to know who my dad was. And then Jesus was teaching us how to pray when the disciples asking, Lord, teach us how to pray. And what did he say? Our Father. Not, we've looked at idols the last couple of weeks and Darren and I will be selling our idol on eBay that we built. We've been looking at our idol for, idols for the last couple of weeks and thinking about man trying to understand things and relate on a level beyond himself simply created God's. Where well, the Lord says to Israel and to humanity, understand there is only one God, and it is I, I am. And so many things that he wanted them to understand and then communicate to pagans that you're not going to find God anywhere else. Come to me. So Jesus reiterated, reiterated it in so many ways. One of the things that Jesus said, it's so beautiful, was come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, 
Man, doesn't that describe you at times? Laboring all the time, burdened with something, whatever it might be. Jesus said, just come to me and I will give you rest. The one thing you desperately need in that moment, Jesus said, I'll give it to you. Not an accident that when Jesus was describing the comforter to come, in the upper room discourse, he was telling those 11 guys who desperately didn't understand and did not want him to leave. He kept saying, I have to go. My hour has come. I have to go. I have to go. And they were like, no, no. And Jesus kept saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back for you. All that John 13, again, for years I could preach John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, that upper room discourse. And one of the things he said to them in there, and he said it twice, I'm going away, but I'm going to send you a helper, the comforter, the spirit of truth, who will be in you and with you. I'm with you. He's also going to be in you, and he's going to empower you to do greater things than I've done because you're gonna, he's omnipresent. I'm going to send you God, the Holy Spirit, to be with you, in you, empower you. And I hope for just a moment that you meditate on that, that you realize the same Holy Spirit that Jesus sent at Pentecost to empower the early church. So we just studied the book of Acts to empower them, to send them out, to turn the world upside down, Scripture says. And they literally did that same Holy Spirit is in our midst this morning, is in your hearts every day, is empowering us, the church, the body of Christ, to turn our world upside down. Why? Look at the top of your handout. Because your daddy, our focus this week and next week, is your daddy is the only God I've mentioned this book several times, and it's a great book to read, Francis Schaeffer's book, The God Who Is There. Everybody has a God. Everybody has a God. Even if you're an atheist, you have a God. It is yourself. Everyone has a God, but the only God who is real is the God of Scripture. He's there. He is. He exists. He's not a creation of our imagination or our feelings, our sentimentality, our own human efforts. He is beyond and outside time. He is the great I am, and there is no other. Many polls are done in, about polling people, religious things, all kinds of stuff, polls, polls for everything. And the vast majority of Americans, if you ask them, do you believe in God, will say yes. The question is not, do you believe in God? The question is, who is the God you believe in? Describe him. Who is he? There are all kinds of beliefs about God, who God is, what does he do, where did he come from, what's he doing right now. For example, if I were to ask you, do you believe in God? Most of you, if not all of you, would say, of course we do, we're here, stupid. It's like when I'm doing marriage counseling with young couples and they're going to get married. The first thing I do is I sit down with them and I know they're getting married. We've been going through... I make them go through a book, and we sit down for our counseling session. The very first question I ask them is, are you in love? 
They don't say this, but they look at me and in their eyes say what? Of course we are stupid. We're getting married. And then I ask them to describe what it means that you love each other. And they're like, you go first. It's hilarious. Always make the guys go first to be nice. Are you in love? Why are you in love with Susie? What is it about Susie that makes you love her? And you know exactly what they're going to say because some of you said it. She's my best friend. She's a, I want to spend my life with her. She makes me smile. I always. Nothing wrong with any of that. That's all good. But God, on a much deeper level, then I'll ask him, what do you think God thinks love is in a marriage? And then they're like, what does the preacher want to hear? <laughs> you know how God describes love in a marriage? You do what's right even when you don't feel like doing it. I've been married 46 years, and Mary, there are times Mary says, please get out of my face. Don't tell that stupid joke anymore. I'm so tired of hearing that. Don't do that. Pick that up. Why did you leave that there? But being married and loving someone is that sometimes, even when you don't feel like it, you do what's right. Because Jesus sure didn't feel like going to the cross, did he? Philippians says, for the joy set before him, he submitted himself to crucifixion. The joy (laughs) of being tortured to death? Why? Because he loved you. He chose to do it willingly, volitionally. Who's your daddy? And here's here's the ultimate application of this and what we are striving for in this sermon series. For example, if I would go back here to Mr. Buchanan, I won't do that. I wouldn't embarrass him. I'm, I'm going to have his sister come up here. Look at her. No, I wouldn't do that. But if I were to ask either one of those handsome young teenagers, tell me about your dad. They love their dad, and they would brag on him. I could ask my granddaughter. and She would say, well, I, I don't even like Grandy. No, she wouldn't. They would brag. I could go around the room, pick a teenager, Talk, talk to me about your grandfather, your grandmother. Talk to me about your, one of your parents. But let's focus on daddy. I love my daddy, and here's what he's done. He's so good, and he's done this, he's done that. For as a grandfather, and I, I remember laughing as a young man growing up, you see those dumb bumper stickers on people's cars, ask me about my grandchild. And I'm thinking, God, how stupid. And then you meet someone, back then, everybody carried a wallet with all those pictures, and they said, and what would they do? Open that wallet. <laughs> Here's my granddaughter having her diaper changed. Here's... And I thought, that's so dumb. But now, with five grandchildren, if you ask me to talk about my grandchildren, what am, what am I going to do? You're going to find, try to find a way to crawl out of my presence. You'll be so tired of it. That's where I want you to get about your heavenly father. That you just love him so much you can't wait to talk about him. Not in an aggressive, authoritarian way, but just, I love my dad. Let me tell you about him. Because most people, and I've read an incredible article this week, and here's what it said. Most people, even those who believe in God, even those who are in church regularly, 
understand God only in a superficial way. That's why Bible study is so important. That's why it's such a passion for me. And I pray, praise God that he really, and I've been in the ministry about three or four years before I really got into understanding how to study the Bible and letting it become part of my life. Because the more you learn about Scripture, not head knowledge, but change life knowledge, application where you become a new person in Christ on a regular basis, not born again, but growing you passionately fall in love with your Savior, and you want people to understand God is not who you think he is. He's not what you think he is. Let me tell you about my daddy. That's my goal for this series, and it may take till the second coming to get it all straightened out. We'll see. So the question is, what's my God like? Can I know him on a personal level because us evangelicals, Talk about personal relationship. What does that mean? Why do I think God is relational and personal? And how can I know him? And where does my purpose and meaning and hope and all of those things come from? It comes from understanding who the God of Scripture is and what he's done in the universe. Who is God? How can I know him? The term theology. We're going to learn theology. You go to seminary, theology, one oh, I've never been to seminary, but I'm assuming they got classes on theology. It would be logical. Theology simply means, you take the two words together that created the word theology in Greek, and it simply means a word about God. A word about God. That's what we're going to look at. What does God's word say about himself? Who is our God? Don't we as human beings, don't we all worship the same God? You ever hear that? If you believe in God, isn't, don't we all worship the same God? Well, that can't be true because what people believe, in many cases, is simply contradictory. And many, many religions claim exclusivity. Jesus Christ claimed exclusivity. What did he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. He claimed exclusivity. He said before Abraham was, I am. He told the Pharisees, you are going to hell and you're taking people with you because they claimed to believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but their righteousness was not based on a relationship with that God. It was based on their own self-righteousness and their works. So, number one on your handout. Let's answer this first and then we'll move on. Number one. God is not, I'd like you to emphasize that little word, circle it, write it on the person next to you, whatever you choose to do. God is not a God of false religions. For Christians, our God is the God of Scripture. So we believe that Scripture has proven itself, the Bible, to be true. Over, and we're not here to study and in, in do the apologetics on Scripture, but that it's proven itself to be true factual, correct, written by 40 different guys over 1,500 years, and yet is consistent and accurate prophetically, and we'll see some of that as we walk through this. So the Bible is true, and it's based on, all this is based on truth. I can tell you that my religion is this. The question is, is it the truth? As we saw, said a moment ago, Jesus said, I am the truth. Now, if he's not the truth, what is he? He's a liar. He's a liar. He said, I am the truth. 
He said, I'm the only way you can know God. If he's not the only way you can know God, what is he? He's a charlatan. He's a liar. He's a false teacher. But he said, I am the only way. So, is the Bible true? We believe that it is. And so we're going to look at the God of Scripture. The God of Scripture, again, monotheistic. It's not polytheism. We looked at pagans last week. They believe in many gods. God said, I alone am God. You tell Pharaoh, Moses, my name is. You tell the Hebrews, my name is. I am. It's not humanism. I don't get to decide for myself who God is. Talked about idols last week. I don't get to decide. I don't get to make God. He is. And he wants us to come to him in faith, repentance, trusting him. He alone is God. It's not pantheism. Pantheism simply says God is in everything and God is everything. God says, I made everything. But that chair is not God. I'm not God. I am a being created in the image of God, the epitome of all that he ever made, but I'm not God. And so he says, you come to me because I am. You're not God. It's not atheism which says there is no God. Proving himself, we'll talk about this in a moment, to exist. The question is, who is he? And he's not any-ism. There on your handout, he's not any-ism. What do I mean by that? You don't get to just choose for yourself who God is. You have the right to reject him and worship whatever you choose to worship. But that doesn't make it God simply because you choose to worship it. It makes it your God, but it does not make it God. We talked about the idols last week. They had ears, but they couldn't what? Hear. They had eyes, but they couldn't. And my favorite is they had hands, but they couldn't do anything for you. They couldn't even, they had mouths, but they couldn't even make a sound in their throat. In other words, they were just dead, inert objects created by man. They could not do anything where your God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus can do whatever you need because he is God. Allah is not God. He's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Mormons, despite the fact they would say differently, is not the God of Scripture. You have to study what they say, believe. We interact and we can love each other, but it is not the God of Scripture. Because they say, I can become a God, you can become a God, and that the Book of Mormon supersedes Scripture. It's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Jehovah's Witnesses is not the God of the Bible. They don't believe in the God of the Bible, despite the fact they have a Bible in many ways translated, but they have their own translation where they change many things. They don't believe in the Trinity. They don't don't believe the Holy Spirit is God. They don't believe that Jesus was God. They believe in Jehovah only. The New Agers, their God is not God. God is not a God of cosmic energy and higher force. The word faith movement, which calls itself Christian, is not the God of Scripture because they take it, manipulate it, and twist it to where I can claim what I want and God will give it to me. In that, in that relationship, I'm God, not the Father. I am. I'm telling God what to do. We were taught to, how to pray. Our Father, hallowed be your name, your will, not Randy's, yours. 
When you learn that in prayer, it changes how you pray. You don't go to God and say, I would like this. You go to God and say, Lord, would you do this? And if God says no, you have to be okay with that. Why? Because his will is always perfect, best, and right for you. And God is not your cosmic genie who simply exists to do what you want him to do. He is God. He's not the product of my sentimentality. He is who he is. And he reveals himself. Number two on your handout, God is the God of revelation. Look at Isaiah 44, verse 6. 44, 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God who can proclaim as I do. Then let him declare it and set it in order for me. Since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to them. Do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. We'll see several verses like this as we go through the passage in Isaiah where God repeatedly says, I am God and there is no other. I'm the only one who can be your rock. I'm the only one who can save you. I'm the only one who can deliver. I'm the only one who can, who can predict the future and you see it come true. Why is that the case? Because it's the top of your handout say, I'm the only God. There is no other. And that's who your daddy is. And again, we need to share that, live that, love that other people, not in an arrogant way, but in saying to them, there is a God who loves you, who wants to be your daddy. Let me tell you about him. Let me share him with you. Let me give you an understanding of who he is not who you think he is. Because so many people that you might have contact with, spend time with, interact with, have grown up in church, but now have abandoned that. And a lot of that is the fault of church. Not all churches, but many, either through legalism or not teaching truth, or just browbeating people into submission and expecting them to live to a set of rules and regulations that God never intended, people get burnt out on church. But God has never changed. One of his attributes that we will study is that he is immutable. He does not change. Now, men can take what God has said and twist it and manipulate it and use it to browbeat people. God never did that or intended that. Neither did Jesus, because he's God. So God reveals himself. We'll quickly get to your handout on this two points, and we're going to probably stop after this today. But I want to make sure we hit these two points, because one of them on your, your handout is wrong, and it's my fault. So I'm going to straighten that out. All right. Number one, God reveals himself in general re- revelation. Is that on your handout? It's on there twice, right? That's my fault. I'll straighten that out now because I don't want you to go home and say, Randy's outline was stupid, even though you may say that anyway. All right. He reveals himself in general revelation. That simply means in nature. 
we've talked about this before, but the evidence of God he gives us in, through creation, that idea, and then through your conscience, who you are. In Romans chapter 1, the Bible says, what may, be, what may be known of God is manifest in them, made evident in human beings. For God has shown it to human beings. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead or divine nature, so that they are human beings without excuse. And here's the idea, without going into the great details, we've done this before, is that God reveals himself in creation. Even if you don't believe scripture, you flush that. Even if you don't believe in what Christianity teaches about God. And I've read many, many things and watched some documentaries on this, what's called intelligent design. Anyone who is objective and fair and reasonable when they examine the universe says the following. I don't know who made it, but what? Somebody did. It is not an accident. It didn't just happen. It's not just here. Somebody designed it. Now, as Christians, who do we believe designed it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We believe that the God of the Bible, our God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, created the universe, spoke it into existence. And the evidence shows that that's true. So he reveals himself in creation. Again, even if you flush scripture, all you have to do is look at your own personage and be honest and realize you're not as stupid as your dog. Some of you may act stupid like your dog. I just wish I had a dog to act stupid like. But that's a different story. We are so much higher than the next primate, and to think again that those are just accidental jumps in an evolutionary cycle is not logical. It doesn't fit the evidence. We are different. What does Scripture say? Let us make man in our image. Did he make apes in his image? Did he make plants in his image? Did he make anything else in his image? And the answer is no. The only thing God made in his image was you and I, Adam and Eve, human beings. We were the only ones that he created that had that capacity to know him, love him, relate to him, to emote, to understand, to create. That sets us apart. We're different. And yet clearly... In creation, in nature, in that general revelation, God said, I am here. Seek me, you will find me, Scripture says. I am here. And then secondly, in that aspect, he then sent Jesus the Christ. Creation, conscience, were different, and then Christ. That there is a God who loved us enough to provide for our atonement so we could be set free. And then the second revelation is special revelation. On your handout it says general again, right? 
That's my fault. General is in nature, specific or special revelation is scripture. Scripture. The Bible that you hold, that you read, is God's chosen method of disclosing himself to mankind. Detail. Jesus tells that great parable in Luke 16 about the Lazarus dying, Lazarus the beggar dying, not the one Jesus would raise later, but Lazarus, a beggar dies, and a rich man dies. They both enter the eternal state, go to Hades, and there's a chasm between one is in torments, the rich man's in torments, the beggar is in Abraham's bosom, it's what it's called, paradise. And the rich man wants to go back and tell his family so that they won't die and go to torments or hell. And what did Jesus say? Quote, he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Obviously predicting what he was going to do. What did Jesus say? I'm going to rise from the dead and they're still not going to believe in me. Is that true? Still true today, is it not? By and large. Here's what Jesus said. We've given you Moses and the prophets, you don't believe them, God's word, you're not going to believe even when I rise from the dead. You're going to find a way to dismiss that and you're not going to believe it. And that's exactly what humanity has always done. They do not want to be held accountable to God. So they choose to refuse how he's revealed himself. Generally and specifically. So what we have as Christians is we believe scripture. It's our certain word about God. We talked about it a moment ago. We're created in his image. We don't understand God in just a human way or a sentimental way. We understand him from what the word says. Our faith is based on the facts of scripture and history, not how we feel. Now, the feelings can be great. I love to just revel, and I hope, again, this series will do that for you, in just talking to my daddy and saying, thank you. I love you. Thank you for being so good to me. I was thinking this morning, I hate to embarrass my wife, but she shouldn't sit over there. So we call that Mary's Cove over there. I was thinking this morning, back over my own life, I was praying early this morning, and God's first word to us is, I'm God. But his second word to us is, I love you. And I think back 50 years ago this month, praying this morning, 50 years ago this month, the two greatest things that ever happened to me happened this time of year leading up to April. One, I began to hear the gospel for the first time, and in April I got saved. And at the same time, I met that sweet lady sitting over in the cove. Fifty years goes by just like that. But eternity is forever. And once I understood who my daddy was, I thought, wow. And I've always been goofy. I know you find that hard to believe. I've always been goofy. And as a 16-year-old kid, I didn't know anything about Jesus except, man, I'm so glad he died for me. And he saved me. And I would talk to anybody. I'd use Lauren 
Butler's favorite word, I would buttonhole anybody that would listen. And I'm talking about adults. I didn't care who it was. I wanted to talk to them about Jesus. Did I do it right? No. I was, and many times, in, if it's somebody I knew, I was in their face saying, you're going to hell. Don't you know that? Probably not the best way to approach someone, especially your father. It, it hurt. But I learned from watching Mary and others, particularly in her family and in her church, which became my church, that you love differently after you, you meet your daddy. You grow. I'm still growing. 50 years I've been a Christian. I learn something every week new about my daddy. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's my goal for you. That when Randy's dead and gone, that you're still growing, learning, remembering. That dude was goofy, but he sure loved Jesus. Goofy. That'd be a great title for my funeral. Goofy, but loved Jesus. Who's your daddy? I hope you really know him and want to know him more because if you come here for the next few weeks, you're going to learn a lot about him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our father as Christians, that we're not floating around in in the nebula out here trying to figure out what life's all about. We're growing and we're learning and we're struggling, but our daddy's got it, got us. That will never change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You talked to Moses, now you talk to us. You spoke the universe into existence, and now we get to look at it. So cool that you're our daddy. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for us so that we could know you as daddy. I pray for every one of us who's a Christian, we'd be excited about our dad, want to talk to people about our dad. And Lord, if there happens to be somebody seated here who doesn't know you as daddy, that this would be the moment they would say, wow. I'd like to have that kind of relationship. Jesus died for me. Thank you, Jesus. Forgive me. Save me. I want to be a child of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.